Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Palace Cinemas podcast. There's been a bit of time between drinks for these episodes, and that's because we've been busy preparing for our national relaunch of our cinema circuit from July 2. We're reopening with a full slate of new releases. To check them out, visit www.palacinemas.com.au. But for the film buffs listening, we can't recommend the Scandinavian thriller A White White Day enough. That releases on July 9, but Palace Cinemas will be having sneak previews from the July 2 weekend. This week, we look at horror films, and especially for people like me, why you should be watching more of them. So Zach will kick us off, uh, just talking a little bit about the horror as a genre. Well, I hope we've all dimmed the lights and uh, put on some requisite spooky candles, because, yeah, horror movies for me have always been a big part of my cinematic upbringing for me I, I see them as sort of like a cinematic rite of passage in a way you know and I think similar to our discussion about westerns in the previous episode what I love about this genre so much is just the, the layers of subgenre that are evident within this sort of banner genre but you know unlike the westerns I think the horror genres are so vastly different. I mean, you, you go from the, the early days of the, the German expressionistic horror films with, you know, the likes of Nosferatu or Cabinet of Dr. Caligari through to, you know, the universal horror films of Bela Lugosi, uh, Wolfman, Frankenstein, Dracula, go then over into the Hammer world of films with, uh, you know, Christopher Lee as Count Dracula, Peter Cushing. And then, you know, you go back to the United States and you have those sort of like prestige films of the 70s like The Exorcist and I'm going to say even stuff like Jaws and Alien I think are under this banner. Uh, supernatural horror like The Evil Dead. Uh, just There's so many different genres and I think what I like about them is that they're, they're, they're a taboo. You know, they're, they're the roller coaster ride that you're frightened to go on and once you are on that ride, all the fear that you had whilst you're experiencing it, there's also this cathartic release of you being in these situations and actually not being in these situations. And I think, you know, that, that sort of primal element of terror, which we all know, you know, what's behind the door, what's lurking in the shadows, what's under the bed, you know, it's a real visceral feeling. And I think that's something that we all are really receptive to while we're, we're either sitting in the theatre or, or sitting in our homes uh, watching horror films. I mean, for me, I came to horror films initially through the, the sort of medium of VHS, uh, you know, you'd go and you'd get uh, five weekly movies for five dollars, and you know, you kind of go along the shelves and and see which cover of which horror film had had the the most uh, you know bleakest outlook, the, the most violent uh, content in a way. Uh, you look at it and go, that's something that is going to kind of disturb me. I'm going to take the plunge and, and watch that. I remember when I first saw Nightmare on Elm Street uh, and, and the cover uh, was, uh, you know, basically the, the, the VHS store that I ran it from, they, they had kind of hidden bits of the cover, uh, almost like in this kind of self-centering way to say this is, this is too explicit for the shelf. This is too disturbing for the shelf. You need to be able to, uh, you know, take this home and, and view it. And, of course, you know, there's the classic band in Queensland stickers that uh, would uh, be on films like Reanimator, which was just, a, you know, a big sort of, I think, almost like a dare to, to, to rent that VHS tape and, and take the plunge and, and experience a film. Uh, but, you know, the genre, I think it, it goes through waves and we saw the slasher genre with stuff like, you know, Friday the 13th and as I said, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, through to stuff like Scream, which was a, a referential thing about, you know, the slasher genre but also moving it into a very kind of postmodern world. Then we went into the whole sort of Saw aesthetic where we, we saw films like Hostel and, and the, the, the countless sequels of Saw. That they, were, they were films, I have to admit, that I was never a huge fan of. But I think we're in a really interesting point now in the horror genre with films like Get Out, uh, Us, Jordan Peele's doing incredible work, 
uh, stuff like Hereditary and also Midsummer, which Midsummer for me is the best horror film that's been released in the past five years. I think, you know, it, it, horror for me is always also a reflection of the times in which these films are produced. You know, you look at the George A. Romero films, uh, particularly Dawn of the Dead, which is an incredible commentary on consumerism in the 1970s in the United States, Night of the Living Dead, you know, uh, in the late 1960s, also commentary on uh, race relations in the United States. So, you know, a good horror film for me, even though it needs a a lot of jump scares and, and a lot of disturbing content, is also a sort of prism into the society and the culture which is creating it. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of interesting stuff. I've got to say, going into this, uh, I, I like to think of myself as a, a film buff. Uh, uh, obviously, I've, I've tried to watch as many films as possible, but the one genre I keep finding myself saying, oh, I'll get to it later, is horror. <laughs> um, so I'm actually hoping to learn a lot from the both of you and kind of be a perspective for those audience members that are a bit the same as me that might be a bit scared to dive in. I've kind of ventured into all the prestige pictures that you were talking about, Zach, just because they're kind of like the must-see films if you want to be a film buff. But beyond that, I, I've been quite trepidatious and um, just diving in, really. And uh, I've got to say, the last few years has what's been turning it around with the examples you gave of, like, Get Out, Us, um, Hereditary, Midsommar. Like, uh, those are the films that are making me go, oh, I want to... I want to find out more about the genre, but I also understand the impact it's had on filmmaking. You know, so many techniques developed in horror movies are used throughout uh, filmmaking, not just within the horror genre. Um, and I think that would be incredibly fun to learn about. Interesting point there too, Alex. I think that's a, a great a great mention because I think a lot of horror films, particularly in their you know early stages and the early stages of uh, filmmakers' careers, there are very DIY aesthetic. So, you know, filmmakers that are working within the horror genre have to be really inventive with, with how they get their special effects and, and how they do uh, their set pieces. I mean, Sam Raimi is a fantastic example there and some of the stuff that he invented for Evil Dead is, is still being referenced in other films today, even in this, you know, new era of, you know, computer-generated imagery and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I, it's just it's a very, very, very layered and, and fantastic landscape of, of films that, uh, you know, give you the creeps. And we, we, we're only really primarily talking about American films here. I mean, there's, you know, I- incredible works of horror coming out of Japan, uh, like the, the classic Ringu series, and all these other works, uh, Italy as well, uh, Tario Argento, so many different facets. And, and what's so incredible about it is they're, they're also different and they're, they're also varied. And, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, a great journey to go on so I'm, I'm glad to be with you on this uh this experience <laughs> horror movies are my favorite genre of movies i think of all time per like i think there's there's heaps of reasons but the number one is that they are so varied and so different just like a western they can depict modern scenarios political scenarios they look at our subculture and they look at our society and can whittle them down i love that in film But one of my favourite reasons is because people have to be so creative when it comes to horror movies. It's not easy to make a horror movie. It's not easy to keep people engaged and let alone frightened for that amount of time. So I think that you have to be a really skilled, really artful director. And the amount of creativity that comes in through prop making or script writing or constantly evolving and changing the genre, I find to be incredibly exciting it's almost as if every 10 years this new wave comes with new directors that want to add their own little piece to it so it's constantly evolving 
but really I, I love them because I keep my life pretty safe on a day-to-day basis. I don't take many chances. I'm not a, I'm not a ride person at theme parks. And so for me, horror movies are that massive sense of relief and tension and um, adrenaline. I love to be as scared as possible through things. And I am a very vocal uh, horror movie watcher. I'm the person that screams in the cinema. I've been known to like burst into tears in the cinema and I'm not going to hide it because that's how I feel. Um, but I love something that can truly bring out a reaction like that in people. Um, there's that trend that came through a few years ago with the paranormal series where all they would do to advertise films was show the night vision footage of, of audiences yeah, watching yeah. films. Yeah. And like that just, that hypes me up. I'm just like, give me more, please give me more. And I think that once you really get into horror, it is an addiction that you have. There are so many movies that come out, especially when you, when you watch the classics and you watch those well-known ones and you start to verge off that path. It's a, it's a tricky path of either the most brilliant films you've ever seen or the most terrible films that you've ever wasted an hour and a half on in your life. Um, so you're just constantly looking for your next hit. Um, and the horror community as well out there is brilliant and loving of it and loving of building that community. So uh, horror is great. More people need to get it. More respect needs to be given to it in the industry as well, I feel. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting genre looking at the sort of post uh, post-COVID world, I suppose, if we, if we want to use that terminology, about communal audiences because a, a horror film is made by seeing it in a communal setting. And, yes, they're very enjoyable at home, but they have a very different atmosphere at home. And I think you raise a, a great point there, Jordan, with those, those sort of uh, night cam uh, shots of, of people literally just jumping in their seats. And, uh, you know, it takes you back to, like, the, the William Castle uh, days of uh, what they used to refer to as Ballyhoo. Uh, and he had uh, films like The Tingler where he had buzzers uh, put underneath the seats and, you know, he would press the, the, the buzzers at a certain moment in the film where the tingler pop up and the audience would get like a shock under their seat or something like that so it kind of uses that kind of like carnival aesthetic uh with the cinematic aesthetic and i think you know seeing it in a communal environment is really the best way to experience a horror film and you know we we do the annual uh halloween marathon at, at the Asta where we, we go all night uh with films and you know we, we throw some secret films in there and we change up the film sort of scheduling as well to keep people on their toes and there's just a, a, a really fantastic atmosphere it's almost like a kinetic atmosphere in the cinema when you're watching a good horror film because every member of the audience is just waiting for that other penny to drop and the next uh, fright to come and I think yeah uh, it, it can't be matched you have to see horror films in a cinema on a, on the big screen. Even when we were talking about our favourite cinema experiences of the, the past year so much of it stemmed from being scared I mean I talked about The Invisible Man we might define that as a thriller but the reason I loved it was because of how scared the audience got, even talking to um, relatives of mine, they're talking about their favourite experience. It was watching Jaws, where the whole audience jumped out of the seat when the shark popped out of the water. Um, I think those are the really kind of tangible moments that we remember. And uh, for people like me that are somewhat trepidatious about going to see these things sometimes, I think by the end of it, it's, it's stuff you'll always remember. I think it's also really interesting to look at how our how we've evolved in being scared over the times. Like, you know, when it first started, simply looking at Nosferatu was the most terrifying thing. Um, you know, in, in Hitchcock films, it was a dummy being swung around on a chair and it keeps getting pushed 
we've gotten to this, well, we got to this stage where it was as much blood and gore and grit as you can. And then it's like the genre changed and flipped on itself. Um, it would be interesting to kind of track how we get scared through horror movies against what is happening in society at the time and see if there's a correlation to it as well. In talking about um, things happening in society and the, the way we're getting scared, I think that's a good way to talk into the film we all watched this week, which is available on Stan if people want to watch at home again or for the first time at Scream. like scary movies. What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act. She's always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. So Scream has got to be one of those, it's got to be a classic teen slasher film. It arcs back to 80s slasher films like Halloween or Prom Night and it follows a bunch of teenagers uh, in California with a serial killer on their loose, mainly basing it around Sydney Prescott who is hunted by Ghostface um, and her friends as they try to navigate when the killer's going to strike again and who's going to be taken next. One of the great things about Scream and what it is known for is how meta it is and how much it plays itself against the archetypes of these films and builds itself a new narrative in that, in that movement. Um, I love Scream so much. It was probably the first horror movie I saw. I remember my dad bringing it home on VHS when I was about 11 or 12, which thinking back is way too early to see a film like that. Um, and being terrified behind the couch, poking my my eyes up to watch it. I love it now because it's progressed into this film that is scary, definitely has jumps at times, but is hilarious at times, is uh, poignant at times, is touching at times, but really is a masterclass of the horror genre and how to watch the horror, how to watch the horror genre. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, John. I mean, for me, uh, the fact that it's written by the gentleman who also created Dawson's Creek is uh, <laughs> a, a very, very interesting parallel. But uh, look, I, I remember I, I saw Scream at the, at the cinema, so I was very fortunate to, to, to see it in that period because, you know, it's a film that everyone kind of comes to in their own way, I think, now. And there's, there's a lot of hype around it because it was such a phenomenon. I mean, this, this thing just rewrote the rule book on what at the time was arguably a kind of dormant genre. The, you know, the horror films had been relegated to, you know, uh, Hellraiser 75 or however many sequels that, you know, <laughs> films got or, or anything. It, it, the, the, the genre had sequelized itself into oblivion. And this was something that felt so fresh, but ironically was so inbuilt to a pre-existing knowledge of the genre. So, you know, you get so much more out of Scream if you're familiar with the genre, I mean, we, we'll talk about the rules that they instigate. You know, there's always the self-aware character who who kind of knows that they're in a movie, even though they're not in a movie, but they're, they're in a movie. Uh, so there's this weird kind of like triple metafiction layer going on there about, you know, this character saying, well, the, the killer is going to stand up again because he's, you know, he's, he's not dead. And then, of course, you know, the killer stands up again. But, you know, that sort of stuff, even though it feels like it's second nature now, in 1996, no one had really done that. So it, it was so ahead of its time. And it, it sounds like a cliche thing to say, but really this, this thing just came in, revitalised the entire genre. And then you subsequently had so many scream knockoffs come out <laughs> after the fact. I mean, even one of them written by its own writer, which was, uh, I still know, I, I know what you did last summer, which was then, I still know what you did last summer. Then I think there's, I'll always know what you did last summer. It's, 
never-ending summers. Uh, but uh, Scream really was was the whole reason behind that. It, it, it really kind of just brought everyone back in line, and they said that's why I like the horror genre. I like being scared. I like that adrenaline rush, and it, it was just you know beautifully executed. Wes Craven, you know, also directed it. I mean, and if, if you were looking for, for horror royalty, I mean, you could go no further than Wes Craven at the time. And he'd also had, I think, a, a bit of a lull in his career as well. I mean. Prior to that, he was working on films like Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy, which, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's a guilty pleasure if you like that film, but the reviews weren't kind uh, upon release. Uh, so, yeah, it, it was just a, a real uh, just resurgence in horror. And for me, the opening 10 minutes is still some of the best horror filmmaking you'll see, you know, in the last mm-hmm. 30 years. It, um, the fact that you've just got Drew Barrymore walking around an empty house with someone on the phone kind of flirting with her, kind of joking around with her, and then there's just this moment where it just snaps and it goes in completely different territory and then the terror ensues. You know, that is a masterclass, as you say, in, in horror filmmaking. If you haven't seen Scream, I can highly recommend it. I can't say I recommend Scream parts two through four, but, uh, you know, that's, that's just me. I do. I do. So it's fine. <laughs> I, 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 I remember... Going to Scream 2, being incredibly excited and having the exact same sort of thing that happened to me uh, with the fourth Indiana Jones film where I was kind of like, <laughs> I, there's got to be something wrong with me. I'm the problem I, uh, in this. So, uh, but, but Scream yeah. Scream 2 also has that excellent opening sequence where they're all in the cinema. That's true. And, and she gets, like, they're all wearing the ghost face costumes about to watch Stab, which is like the movie version of Scream on the screen um, and she gets stabbed and killed and there's no way of knowing who it is and everyone thinks it's a joke because it's just filled with more, like more of the ghost face people. It's so great. It's, you know, you could, that, if you thought the first film was meta, the first 15 minutes of Scream was like a, a meta library of meta fiction. <laughs> you just could, couldn't yeah. get any more meta. It's so meta. It's like the Spinal Tap uh, Black albums. Like the question is how much blacker could you get and the answer is none. Uh, okay. it, it, Scream 2 is you could get none more metafiction. So I have a confession to make. I had never seen Scream. I what? Yeah, I, I'm not joking. I'm here to learn. Um, so I'm not looking at this with like rose-tinted glasses or anything or like, a, you know, a preconceived idea of what it meant back then versus what it means now. It is freaking awesome. It is so good and holds up so well. Um, I had, you know, in saying I hadn't seen Scream, I had a lot of knowledge about Scream. Like I, w- I was very aware of its impact on filmmaking and the genre and uh, it also, you know, how meta it was. Um, I knew that Drew Barrymore died within the first 10 minutes, but then actually watching it was just something else completely. I mean, even that 10-minute opening with Drew Barrymore, you're thinking, you know, like, Jesus, there are too many doors in this house. How many doors do you need to lock? And um, like what you're talking about, that yeah. and it's just so brilliantly crafted, even if it's like a short horror movie in itself. But then as you go on, there, there are a few things that just impressed me so much. I mean, one, yes, the meta commentary and how it was like looking backwards in on itself, you know, a very kind of postmodern um, take on horror movies, but also just like the reflection of, teenagers at that time um i guess when i'm watching horror movies especially ones about teenagers you kind of roll in your eyes about how cliche they are and like these insights of teenagers that you know 
35 to 45 year old white guys have that are writing the script and then watching this and yes the teenage vocabulary may have changed and everything like that but like that's how I remember teenagers talking when I was a kid and like they're not just saying dumb stupid shit and swearing at each other they're like you know that they've got their own intelligence they're they're aware of what's happening in society uh they're just freaking cool and like it was I thought that I thought it was beautifully acted by everyone um and 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 so well written like this dialogue of these teenagers it's just it it, yeah it couldn't have been better put together in in, in my view and then uh yeah I mean but ultimately as as a kind of postmodern breakdown on horror films it is awesome and it's awesome to see the impact it's had on cinema since like I didn't see Scream but I can I can see its impact everywhere, um, and I was also left wondering like why did all of these scary movie parody movies get made? Like, Scream is a oh satir- yeah, Scream is a satire <laughs> in itself. Like, why were you satirizing this? It doesn't make sense. Um, but yeah, absolutely loved it. Couldn't recommend it enough for people that uh, haven't had the haven't had the privilege. No, it's just it's one of those films as well where like. I will actively, if something comes up and Skeet or Rook's in it, I'm like, I'm there. Like, just give me, just give me that screen vibes again. Matthew Lillard, sure. Let's watch his shitty new sitcom. I'm there. Let's do it. Uh, All because hey, I loved them he's, so much. He's in, the, he's, in the, he's in the third season of Twin Peaks, Matthew Lillard. So, <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's on fire in that. I mean, look, you know, Jamie Kennedy, who's great in this film, he even went on to do the Mask sequel. So everyone's got, uh, you know, questionable uh, career choices post-screen. But, look, you know, we should also say that, Screen 5 is on the horizon now and David Arquette is going to be coming back and reprising his role in, in Screen 5 as uh, Jeopardy Dewey, uh, who was the, the lovable cop who has appeared in all the Screen films. Uh, so I'll be curious to see if they can get uh, any of the other cast back to this fifth adventure and, and what that's going to look like because even though I think, you know, the film was very progressive in 1996, now it's, it's got a lot of other stuff to engage with and deal with. So I think it's going to be a really hopefully interesting evolution uh, of this franchise. So moving on from uh, Scream and what we love about Scream, let's just touch on quickly some other gems of the genre that uh, people should catch at home. Uh, One of my all-time favourite horror films is The Granddaddy of all horror films in my view, and that is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. It's directed by Toby Hooper. It's a very simple story. A group of teenagers are driving through Texas. They pick up a hitchhiker. The hitchhiker takes them to a house and they meet his family. And I could give you some spoilers and say that his family is a bunch of chainsaw-wielding cannibalistic maniacs, Uh, but that would be a spoiler, but that is exactly what happens. Uh, And this film introduced us to Leatherface, uh, played by Gunnar Hansen, who for me is still one of the most imposing cinema monsters that you'll ever see. Uh, It's loosely based on some sort of serial killer folklore uh, from the United States, Uh, but the film uh, is essentially a fake story, but it presents itself as a true story, which is a, a really kind of interesting precursor to something like the Blair Witch Project, for example, which, you know, uh, pretended to be true and was was actually completely uh, fictitious. Uh, What I love about this film, though, is it wants to hurt you. This film really wants to get you by the throat and pull you through the cinema screen or the television screen and attack you. And, you know, there's this real griminess to it. Everyone's sweating. There's just this, you know, incessant sort of like metal soundtrack where you just hear this clanging of things. It's just a 
a greatly unpleasant experience, uh, but it's so well crafted. Uh, you know, for me, it's you know a pure cinematic nightmare, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to play it a, a number of times uh, at, at various different cinemas that I've programmed, uh, all the way back to uh, the Westgarth Cinema when I used to do the the midnight sessions, and and for that one, uh, right in the crescendo uh, of the film, I actually ran through the theatre uh, with a fake chainsaw <laughs> to uh, do a little, little bit of uh, audience uh, engagement, and that really kind of took things to a next level. Uh, we subsequently played the film at the Astor when Toby Hooper passed away and there was just a, a real sense of terror in the auditorium every time I played this film and every time I screened it, people react to it and it's a film that is, you know, it's quite old now but it's still incredibly terrifying and still incredibly original. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it and you're slightly squeamish, maybe don't see it but if you are up for the challenge, I can highly recommend it. It's also, it's one of those films where if you can see it at a cinema, you 100% need to see it at a cinema because it's so, it just, you're right how you say it drags you into its world. It is, this is one of those films where having no budget in the 70s, in the middle of summer in Austin, Texas, only does it justice because everyone is sweaty and terrified and there's a sense of unease throughout the whole thing. The chase scenes the chasings are some of the most terrifying things I think I've ever experienced. And when I look back to films of, like, horror films of the 70s, I mean, it was a classic era for horror, but I think The Exorcist gets a lot of credit and people tend to put the Texas Tainshaw Massacre away because they think it's going to be this gory kind of, you know, horribly bloody film, which it is, mm. but it's there's something to it that you it just takes a piece with you when you watch it. Well, it's it's wonderful. It's yeah. so well done. The irony is too that you know for a film that has a title of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's very little blood actually spilt in the film. Yeah, you, you people imagine they've seen things in the movie, uh, which is I think the real power that it has. That it, it kind of just gets into your psyche, and you know for, for many many years people go, "Well, what about that scene where that happened or this happens?" Like you never actually see that. It's all kind of implied through sound or or these really just strange lingering shots. And I think it's a great point you make about the chase scenes, Jordan, because what's so frightening about them is. They're not these sort of like large, uh, almost uh, kind of balletic sort of chases. They're just like going around in circles in the middle of yeah. a field. And that's yeah. really terrifying. Um, this is one of the best horror films to read about. So take the time to go and see how it was made um, and what they had to do to craft everything and get it done properly. It's, it's made by people that had a vision and a dream, which is hilarious when it comes to talking about a slasher movie like this, but they truly, what they conceptualised and brought to life is magnificent. And it's pretty much the only horror film, I believe, uh, one of the very few horror films that uh, is included in the uh, Museum of Modern Art. Ah. So my experience with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was I was first exposed to it through my mum talking about it, not showing it to me. She just talked about it. And she was describing, you know, the scariest film she'd ever seen. And I was asking her as a kid, like, what made this film so scary? And she described the chase scene. I was like, the catch up with her or something. He's like, no, well, I mean, yes, in some cases, but the scary part of it was these chase scenes and you could just feel the, you could feel the chainsaw like millimeters from your back as an audience member. 
that's like that's what you felt and I was like this sounds freaking terrifying (laughs) like it didn't get to it for a long time and then I got to it and I had that exact same experience you're describing Zach where I was recounting it to people and they were like was that in the movie and I was like yeah and then I uh, thought about it I was like yeah no it's not in the movie I'm imagining this the Texas Chainsaw Massacre after you stop screaming you'll start talking about it so anyways, the person least versed in uh, horror films, I think I'll, I'll, I'll go second in saying that uh, this is one of the films that has inspired me to watch a lot more horror films and has actually given me something, you know, it's kind of nice as a film buff to realise, oh, there's this huge catalogue of fantastic movies I haven't seen. I'm kind of enjoying that experience. But the film that kind of kick-started me back into that was uh, Hereditary. Who's going to take care of me? You don't think I'm going to take care of you? when you die this is touching back on what you were saying Jordan and what we we're talking about with westerns is the way they can uh, act as metaphors for, for something else and that was hereditary really acts as a metaphor of grief and especially tragic grief and you know tragic grief feels like a horror movie and uh, not only that it was doing things in horror movies I hadn't seen before or I wasn't, it wasn't the jump scares, it wasn't the, the gore, it was someone waking up in their bed in the middle of the night looking across their room and is that someone standing in the corner? And even as an audience member, you're not quite sure and you look a little bit closer and I swear this shot held for like five or ten seconds and it's a person It's a per- and turns on the light and it's just like a basketball um, sitting on a chair. But like genuinely terrifying. Yeah, there's a real just the the, the sort of, moments of quietness that are in the chaos particularly in the last 30 minutes like the the last 30 minutes of the film is utterly chaotic but then it's almost as if all the sound is just pulled out of the film in certain moments uh and that's the real creepy part like where where, you know you see all these these sort of just moments of chaos exploding on screen and then you just kind of left still for a moment. I think that that is what works so well for me in the last 30 minutes of that film. Uh, but just the, the build-up as well, I mean, you know, without giving out any spoilers because, you know, some people may have not had the experience of this film yet, uh, you know, it, it really sets you on one path and at about 30 minutes in you go down a completely different road. And I remember seeing it in the cinema with, with a full house and uh, when something happens in the first 30 minutes, which you don't expect is going to happen, Mm. People literally screamed and gasped in the theatre. Like, you know, people could not believe what they were seeing. It's almost as if someone put the wrong film on for a minute. And they were kind of like, hang on a minute, this is the film I was seeing. It, it completely changed the, the movie I was watching. Um, yeah, and you can't replicate that. And that's something that a, a filmmaker who has you from the moment you start watching that film to the very end, and they can take you on these trips and they can take you on these journeys and you have no idea what they're going to do, but you put that trust in them. And when they kind of deliver, it's a feeling that is completely unmatched. Yeah. And as a filmmaker, I mean, Ari Aster is the filmmaker that made Hereditary, but then to have to follow up with Midsommar so quickly and have it be as equally, if not more, brilliant, I was just um, astounded by it. And as an exhibitor, like that was part of the fun, was just seeing how many people were coming out to see these movies. I mean, they weren't big mainstream films by any means, but... Uh, they were filling auditoriums. They were really popular, um, especially Hereditary, which, I mean, he didn't really have a brand at that stage, but the, the hype surrounding it, I mean, everyone was calling for Tony Clare to get an Oscar for it. 
um, it was a real treat to kind of be a part of that in, in promoting. And, and Midsummer is, you know, that's, a, that's an R-rated film in this country. It's very hard to, to, to pull audiences for, for R-rated cinema sometimes, but that film just had a life of its own. And I think, you know, it's just a, a real testament to the word of mouth and people that saw that film you know, were so passionate about it and they just, you know, just spread the word about it and that, that's what worked. So my film is Neil Marshall's 2005 horror movie, The Descent. I remember... It was back when I worked at a video store in 2006 and I pulled it off the wall because of the amazing cover it had and I had no idea it was going to give me the terror it did. It follows a a bunch of women who love kind of extreme sports after something quite horrific has happened to one of them. They try to rebond as a group and go spelunking, which is cave diving um, in the Appalachian Mountains in America. Um, It's beautiful because it's has so many levels of terror throughout it. You start with these real jump scares of of this major event that happens at the start. You move into like a psychological thriller with the dynamics of the women coming into it. It takes you then into this horrifically claustrophobic and anxiety-producing section where it's them crawling through these tiny, tiny holes at the bottom of a cave um, it's so claustrophobic and so it's it's one of those scenes that I really have to make myself watch or I have to walk out because it's just too much for me. And then, you know, a rock falls, they're stuck in a cave and it's all about what lies at the bottom of this cave and their survival, um, which is also pretty terrifying. It's really fun to see an all-female cast Um, I've spoken about it a lot, but I do love movies with women in them and the women is the the focus of the film. It's really interesting to see how their dynamics break down and a look at true female friendships. It's really interesting to see the psychological stuff. It's really horrible to watch people talk, like crawl through these holes. And then the ultimate chase scenes at the end. It also has two different endings depending on on where you live in the world. Uh, America couldn't take the original ending, so have uh, have deducted about a minute's worth from it, which is always interesting to see what version you get. Um, but it, it truly lies in with that concept of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre where, you know, even though at the end someone escapes, you never truly feel like they're safe and you never truly feel uh, like they're going to be okay in the world after they've gotten away from their scenario and the same thing happens in this movie. Sarah, but you saw someone back So what? I don't think I saw someone. I saw someone. No, you heard something and you saw what you wanted to see. It's the dark. It plays tricks on people. The Descent is something I, I haven't seen, but I remember seeing the poster for it at Maroochydore, um, Birch Carolyn Coyle Cinema way back in 2005, <laughs> 2006. And ever since I saw that poster, I was like, oh, I should check out that movie. I mean, I've held on to that for, what, 13, 14 years. But it's also a film that's just kept coming back up again and again in terms of, you know, these conversations we have amongst um, film buffs. It's like, oh, you should really see The Descent. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I say, the poster's great. Uh, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it now. And uh, if, if, if nothing else, you know, check it out for the poster. I, yeah. I saw it at the Melbourne International Film Festival uh, when it when it premiered there in Melbourne, and it, it always had the badge of honour there where it had a warning uh, that you know you could get motion sickness or there was a content warning and a motion sickness warning. And I was like, this is a film that everyone needs to see immediately. So uh, <laughs> I I was a huge fan of that. 
That wraps it up for episode four. Join us next time as we look at the films coming up on Palace Cinema screens, as well as host a very special interview with Catherine Toolich, an Australian media journalist who has contributed to well-known publications like the LA Times, Variety, RogerEbert.com and ABC Australia. We'll be chatting to Catherine about what the cinema industry might look like in a post-COVID world. 